Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As is true in all good organizations, good culture yields the best results and increases the probability for success. This is particularly true in baseball. We have a lot of work to do in the coming days and weeks to build a championship roster and to put a good process in place for good decision making. But I want to assure all Mets fans that every person in this organization will be fearless and relentless in our pursuit of greatness. Everyone will be working together in this effort. That will include players, scouts, coaches, and the front office. We will start with our major league roster where we already have some of the most talented players in the game. We will infuse new talent to the roster to supplement what is already in place and the foundation that we have. We will be creative. As Jeff said, we'll be collaborative and we will be proactive. We will invest in our scouting department. We'll invest in our player development, our health and wellness, and our analytics. None of these investments will be mutually exclusive from the other. All will be priorities. Throughout my career, I've come to understand that character and makeup are critical keys to success. I intend to make character the backdrop of this organization. We will identify it, we will develop it, and we will build around it. So before I, I turn it over to you, I think there's probably a few people that want, want to ask me questions. I want to leave, leave you with one simple but important mission statement that I have. We will win now. As Jeff said, we will win in the future. We're going to develop a winning culture and a winning mindset. And we will deliver this city and this fan base a team they can be proud of. Mets are amazing, 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 amazing. <laughs>
England. There's a fly ball hit out to left, waiting is Jones. The Mets are the world champion. Here's the one-two pitch. Check him out. Steve has 19 strikeouts. Swung on, hit on the ground towards first. Jones on the run. This one has a chance. Home run by Piazza and the Mets lead three to two. To left field, Floyd. And after winning rough shot over the National League, the Mets have a timeless show for it. 2006 National League East champions. Here's the payoff pitch from Familia to Fowler on the way. And it's in there. Strike three called. The Mets win the pennant. The New York Mets it's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Tuesday, October the 30th, 2018. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at MikeSilvaMedia, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Hope everybody's doing well, and... A new era of Mets baseball is upon us, the Brody Van Wagenen era. As you heard in the open, some of the comments from the new Mets general manager, the 13th, I didn't realize that, the 13th general manager in Mets history. Lucky number 13. Uh, Joining me in just a little bit, he was at the press conference earlier today, uh, our buddy from New York Sports Day, Rich Mancuso. He has uh, some of his perspective, and obviously he wants to address uh, as we had Rich on during the late part of the summer, and, and Rich had reported that he believed that Gary LaRock was going to be the general manager of the Mets, and he was pretty confident on that, and, and he wanted to do a follow-up on that and, and give us an idea of you know how what he hears, how the process went, how the Mets came to this decision, and then, of course, his reaction from City Field earlier today. Uh, here's where I'll start, because you know I've been on Twitter and been reacting, and and I said all along, it was hard for me to say from day one, this is the general manager. This is who I want to manage the Mets. This is the guy. And it was the same thing last year to a certain degree when Mickey Calloway was hired. Because the days where you go out and you have that stud, you know, let's say Theo Epstein, or in managing back in the day when Bobby Valentine left and I really wanted the Mets to hire Lou Pinella. You had those kind of managers that you knew were difference makers, guys that would come in and automatically whip things up and and turn a team around. And there's very few of those individuals left because you're trying to cultivate a new era of those kind of managers. Maybe Buck Showalter is one of those guys. Uh, On the manager's side, on the GM side, there's very few because the game has really changed where it's a new wave of individuals away from the player uh, executive, uh, more towards not only just the analytics executive, but really individuals who may not be in the business. And and Joel Sherman wrote a great piece about that earlier today, comparing how you know all this angst about Van Wagenen and, and how he 
is coming from the agenting business, you know, not just the fact that agents came into the business in the NBA, but there have been others in professional baseball, not just Dave Stewart. Uh, you know, owners owners have come in from the agenting business. Uh, you know, many individuals have come in, so it's not totally unprecedented. I don't think there was as much outrage about others as there was with this particular move. And, and before I get to that, I'll start. I thought Brody Van Wagenen was articulate. I thought, um, you know, he didn't give you, like, what everybody thought they were going to get, this blueprint. You know, he's not there to give you the blueprint at the press conference. You know, that's for him to do in the boardroom, behind scenes. He gave you what he felt was the foundation of his belief system. And I think most importantly, he at least spoke about how he wants this organization to be more positive, take a stand, think big. Um, He used the term glass half full, and I agree. And even in that ridiculous, and if you haven't heard it, you really got to go find the interview he did with Francesa on WFAN, that ridiculous interview that Francesa, again, conducted himself like a child, uh, not listening to the answers, accusing, hearing what he wanted to hear, and actually just built the interview, the way he had it in his mind how he was going to handle that interview. Van Wagenen could have been blah, 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 and it would have been the same reaction from Francesca, but I digress. But basically, Van Wagenen went back at him and said, you know, you tell me uh, the complete team in the NLEs. You tell me where I'm missing the ball. What You know, he went in there and said, we have pieces here. We have the structure of something good. He didn't say it was a perfect team. He didn't say it was a team that was ready-made. He feels, like I felt for a long time, two things. One, this is an organization that did not seize upon its World Series appearance, has always been uh, a a small thinker, and maybe that's that's certainly ownership's fault, but I think that's uh, trickled down to other aspects of the organization. I think it's an organization that needs to think bigger. I think it's an organization that needs to realize it's not as bad as everybody thinks. I think they need to go out and uh, and have a, a winning mentality, a winning mindset. And I've talked about this for so long, and I've talked about how you see with the Knicks right now, David Fisdale trying to implement a lot of the things that I've, I've said Pat Riley did in this town with the Knicks over 20 years ago. And, you know, there's certain mindsets, culture, that's a word that's being used so much in sports today because that's really what it is. It's providing principles and foundations and a mindset. Really, at the end of the day, a mindset that everybody from every facet of the organization, every avenue, needs to bring to their job, whatever that what that is. And if Van Wagenen could articulate that, if he could bring in the right people that are going to be on board with that, disciples, so to speak, then this hire is a win. The fact that he's an agent means absolutely nothing. If you think he rose to power at CAA, a prominent agency in a cutthroat business, and I know agents, I know a couple of guys who are agents, one both boutique guys, and one got in the business and got out pretty darn quick, and the other is in the business but sometimes wonders why. It is a tough business, a real tough business. And if you think he ran a division at CAA, by luck and not by having the skills and the know-how of how to run an organization, then you're not paying attention. You clearly don't know business because it's like going to college. You learn skills there 
And a lot of the things you learn in college you never use. I'll be the first to say that. But there is certain behaviors that are built at that age that you can take along the way. And then at every job you do, you continue to take those skills and you transfer them. It's like any other industry. It's transferable skills. So there are plenty of skills he learned in building an organization and running an organization at CAA, not to mention the fact that because it's a sports-centric organization, he had to have people, and he himself had to bless off on what's the next wave of talent, almost like the farm system. What do you think? You think agencies, the only thing they do, although it's a big part of the business, they just go out and poach clients? You think that's easy? You think that's cheap? No. You've got to find the next wave. You've got to find the next high school kid that needs representation. You need to have an eye for this stuff. And there's been articles out there that talked about how this is a guy that's uh, gone out and scouted and been at high school games and has, and has beat the bushes, so to speak. So just because he wears a suit and he's made a lot of money and he's certainly working and running CAA, the baseball division, on the glamour side of the business, doesn't mean he hasn't paid his dues, he hasn't put his time in. So, you know, to me... You know, that that's just hogwash. That's just nonsense. So, you know, if he can bring that mindset, if he can come in and and take a lot of what the culture that I think Mickey Calloway, and we talked about it earlier in the year when we did the, the piece on Calloway at the end of the year with the Fangraphs article, you know, that's a win. As far as the reaction in the media, uh, by far, um, this process, it's been ridiculous. Uh I have never in my born days seen a group of people uh, know less about what's going on, speculate more about what's going on, and really compartmentalize everything into black and white. The media is the first to talk about fairness and equality in the world and diversity, but they are the least open-minded group of individuals, at least from sports. I see it in everything, but in sports. The fact that and Andy Martino of SNY, who I'm not a huge fan of, but I think I think he did an extremely good job of reporting and probably was the most accurate and most clued in throughout this process, um, talked about how it was really boiled down to old school versus analytics. That's the choice. And to a certain degree, I understand that. Fred Wilpon is a traditional guy, and you know, you'll hear from Rich Mancuso in a little bit, and he'll talk about why Gary LaRock did not get the job. And after hearing Doug Melvin on the conference call last week, I even thought, wow, this sounds like the guy that has the job and with the connections to Omar and, you know, the fact that he's more traditional. Fred Wilpon will go into this. So everything came down to the Mets are going to have to go old school versus new school. That's the battle. And that's not even close to the case. The Mets really, and I'll give him credit, went out and tried to find a guy that would fit most in with their organization where I think both Fred and Jeff, from what I understand, could get along on the pick and really feel good about the pick. And I don't know if Fred and Jeff have been on the same page in a very long time. I don't know if they were always on the same page about Omar. I'm pretty sure they weren't on the same page with Terry Collins for a long time. Not quite sure how big of a fan of everything Sandy Alderson did that Jeff was. But if this, and you heard it from Jeff, if if both Fred and Jeff are on the same page with Brody Van Wagenen, that's a good start. Hopefully it continues because you need to have both owners on the same page. You need them to both feel good about the man that's running their organization. But, I mean, if you think I'm bothered and you shouldn't be bothered because Buster Olney has a source, Buster Olney on ESPN, that uh, 
uh, and he basically said, well, you know, Brody Van Wagenen has as much qualifications to play first base as he does as a general manager. Oh, really? Let me ask you, Buster, what organizations have you run? Because I guarantee you if a sports writer got the job, you wouldn't say that. And I guarantee you if you got the job, you would feel you're qualified because you write about baseball. Actually, he's got more qualifications than you, Buster. And you know what? I've seen some of the resumes, and Joel Sherman reported this in the New York Post, of guys who came up through organizations. You know, Ed Wade, I believe, at one point, he used to be the general manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. I think he was an intern, and he was uh, one of his roles was, uh, from what I understand, was to be the Philly fanatic back when he was the intern with the Phillies. Go back and look at some people's resumes. Heim Bloom, who was the runner-up in this, and, and I listened to an interview with him on a podcast with Mark Feinstand at MLB.com. Smart guy, young guy, younger than me, which is crazy. Guys younger than me who 10 years ago when I started doing a radio show or in college or maybe younger are now on the cusp of running big league teams. It puts puts in perspective how time how time flies. But, you know, articulate guy, but what's his background? He was a liberal arts major at an Ivy League school. All due respect, I have as much, if not more, qualifications to run a big league club as he does. Oh, because he's been labeled a wonder kid by the industry? And you want to know? The fact that the Ken Davidoffs of the world in the Air Post, he, like he said earlier, I don't get it, that doesn't bother me. And Scott Boris talking about conflicts of interest? You know what's a conflict of interest? When you go into the free agent market like he did in 2008 with A.J. Burnett, Oliver Perez, and Derek Lowe, and he decided the pecking order of who gets signed for a second, third. Guess who gets the least amount of money in that situation? The guy who signs third. Who decides it, the teams or Scott? Because at the end of the day, that to me sounds like a conflict of interest. And let me tell you, if there are outrage in front offices and through agents and the Players Association who also has a lot more they should be worried about on their plate than Brody Van Wagenen getting the Mets job, that tells me that this pick actually worries people. And the fact that he can glean so much information from all the different people that he spoke to from all the different individuals that he's come in contact with, from his experience in building and using data as well as uh, scouting information to build a, a, a stable of athletes over at CAA in the baseball division. Uh, that tells me they're worried that maybe for the first time, the Mets have become the house. Paul D. Podesta wrote something many years ago about how do you become the house? How do you create a situation with your decision-making, with your infrastructure? where you're the house, meaning when you go to the casino, the house wins, not 100% of the time, but damn near every time. How do you make it where most situations, when you go and you go to implement something, that the outcome will be closer to you being the house, which a high percentage probability of winning? I'll take my bets that his knowledge, what he's learned, he may have something that they all of a sudden are worried about. What are agents worried that all of a sudden that, you know, they're going to be at a competitive disadvantage negotiating with the Wilpons? They can't play the straw man. They can't scare them. They can't bamboozle them. Why? Because he knows their game. What really bothers me the most out of all of this is that throughout, you kept hearing that the Mets are going to go, oh, they're going to do a boring traditional pick. You know, they're, you know, they're going to go uh, the way where it's going to be same old Mets, backwards team. They go... And I hate the term out of the box because it is out of the box, but it really isn't if you peel the onion and you look at it because his qualifications are there. Running a division, like I keep saying, 
It's there. He's done it. There's so many transferable skills in this. But the fact that he they get lambasted for this, to me, is just utterly absurd. It just tells me that that was the preconceived outcome. It was like Francesa's interview. Francesa, Francesa had the answers to what he was going to say before the question. The question meant nothing. He had the question. The answer to the question meant nothing. He was going to answer it the way he wanted to answer it. And you could have played the teacher in the peanuts. Wah, 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 and he would answer it. And that's what this has been with the media since day one. Okay, Since day one, they were ready to criticize whoever the Mets picked. The only candidate that they weren't going to was Heim Bloom because he closely resembled what they wanted, which is they wanted the standard what has become now, which 10 to 15 years ago was the outsider, the standard Ivy League analytics young uh, maybe to a certain degree, like those individuals in the media, analytically based candidate. And and the Mets didn't go that route. And I'll also tell you another thing. I was glad to hear Jeff Wilpon mention that all the candidates, and they claim they, they interviewed 12 seriously for the final position, all talked about how there wasn't a need to tear this down and completely rebuild it. And maybe they... they they rigged it that way so that, you know, they got the kind of candidate that gave them where they wanted to go. But hearing how, well, Ben Sherrington did an interview because, you know, he wanted to tear the thing down. Well, that's his prerogative. You know, he's comfortable where he is and he doesn't want to take a job unless it's the perfect situation. I don't blame him. I respect that. But anybody who tears this team down and doesn't look at it for what it is, for what's in front of them is just doing that for job security because they want to learn this city, this ownership group, this town on the job. Because they want to be able to say, well, you know what? I'm not expected to win for four or five years. And it, and when you when you tear the whole thing down and you become the man, there's a certain amount of control that comes with that where you almost become the emperor of your own fiefdom. And I don't blame anybody for who, want, who wants to do that, but anybody who took this job and looked at that and did that, it was almost criminal. It was almost baseball malpractice to do that. This is not Houston. This is not Chicago from five, six, seven years ago. Totally different situations. We've been down that road. I've talked about that on, on prior podcasts. And I'll, and, and I'll tell you what. I'll give Jeff Wilpon credit, uh, Fred Wilpon, I should say, credit on this one. From what I understand, he was the one that was going to bless off on the final pick. This was not the direction at the beginning that he wanted to go. And um, I think this was Jeff's pick all along. If you remember back at the end of the year, Jeff even mentioned about how they may look at candidates who are outside of the traditional routes. And certainly Van Wagenen is that. Uh, And the Mets did a good job not leaking very much. Like I said, Andy Martino and Mike Puma were the only two who had any kind of inkling of what was going on. And uh, they made the pick that they're most comfortable with. And so far, all I can say is this. I don't know if it's going to go well. You don't know if it's going to go well. None of us have a crystal ball. But his philosophy, his mindset is exactly what I wanted out of a candidate. Taking this team and building it and building it up. And maybe he could get this ownership group to feel comfortable investing and spending if they have the capital. Steve Phillips said it again today. And you heard Van Wagenen talk about how this is a family business. This is a very personal business for the Wilpons. Anybody who's worked for a family business knows that it gets very personal. 
with ownership. It's not just the employer-employee typical relationship. Uh, there's a lot of uh, emotion in this whole thing. And most importantly, there's a finite amount of funds. And the attitude that the fans want, which would make it a hell of a lot easier to win, goes back to what Steve Phillips said. You go out, you spend money, winning comes, and revenue comes with it. And that's just not Fred Wilpon. He wants to set a budget, project, say, this is the revenues that I think we're going to bring in. Here's what I'm comfortable spending. Go out, work with this, and then we'll see where things come. And that's hard. It makes the job a lot harder. Hopefully, Van Wagenen could come back and do what, to a certain degree, Sandy Alderson couldn't do, convince this ownership to go outside of their comfort zone and maybe invest. If he can do that, then this move is worth the weight in gold. And uh, his ability to negotiate, read markets as an agent, probably will help. Uh, I think he could only be more... You could only go one way after Alderson. Alderson was a very conservative negotiator. I thought he was very slow to adjust to markets. I thought he was stubborn and rigid. And I think that that helped them in some cases. May have helped them get Zach Wheeler and trade Carlos Beltran and... Maybe that helped them during the rebuild. I think that hurt them as they became a contender and they needed to upgrade their roster. I really do. And if you look at the postmortem, not that this is what it's about, you know, right now, the postmortem of Sandy Alderson, I think to me, getting someone a little bit more forward-thinking, aggressive, and who's going out there and saying, hey, I don't want to hear. Like like Van Wagenen said to Francesa, I don't want to hear that we can't win. I don't want to hear that we're inadequate. We have things here to be proud of. We have things here to work with. And anyone who doesn't know that is not paying attention and is just trying to put out a narrative for the sake of that. And he's tired of it. He'll get If he isn't, he'll be tired of it at the end, by the end of today. He'll get tired of it very quickly. I'm tired of it, and you should be tired of it. He got tired of Francesa pretty quickly if you listen to that interview. So anyway, as I always say, in New York, if you can't win the press conference then it's going to be a really hard time after that. You always win the press conference. The press conference is the best day. It only gets harder from here. It only goes downhill from there. This will be the best day of Van Wagenen's career here with the Mets. Maybe not. Maybe if he wins a championship, that'll be the best day. But uh, anyway, to get to that championship, and even at that time on the podium, the question is, well, can you do it again? So the best day is the first day because all it is is hope. All it is the future. All it is is possibilities. And uh, very little negativity, even though... uh, some of the media tried to do that. All right, let's take a quick break. When we return, Rich Mancuso, New York Sports Day. Let's hear what he has to say. He was out at City Field earlier today. He also wants to kind of get into the process. And why didn't Gary LaRoque or Doug Melvin or another type of individual get this job? Why did Brody Van Wagenen turn out to be the choice to be general manager of the New York Mets? He'll let us know. We'll be back with more Talking Mets podcast right after this. You're starting pitching. You think right now the Mets are putting on a field a good everyday lineup? Mike, I got a team that we can compete with, and I think I can add to it. Oh, boy. Okay. Okay. All right. Man, you're very wide-eyed about this, I tell you. You know, really. That's, well, I, you know, you didn't inherit the Yankees, you know. You inherited the Mets. That's right. I, I, I have confidence in, in a lot of the guys' names in that clubhouse. They've had performance uh, 
track records in the past, and I think there's a, there's future ahead of us. But look, I wouldn't have taken this job if I didn't feel like there was an opportunity to, to win and build around this thing. Oh, yeah, I agree, but that doesn't mean because there's an opportunity to win doesn't mean that you think you have a ready-made team that's going to you know is ready to win right now. I mean, there's I, I would think you would deem that there's a good pretty good amount of work to be done, right? I, I know you usually like to ask the questions. I got one for you. Yeah. Who in the National League East is going to beat us, and why? Right now? Right now. Well, the Braves have a better team right now than you do. I mean, I think absolutely. I mean, as far as their everyday players, I'd take theirs over yours. So would you. I mean, you know you would. Okay. Well, they, You wouldn't? Look, I, I think that the, uh, the Braves are a good young team. I don't think the Braves have, uh, have won any World Series either. I think the Phillies are a good young team, but I think there's questions on everybody's roster in, in baseball right now. Well, then answer this question for me. Who's batting cleanup for you on opening day next year? You'll have to wait and see. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, gee, that's a great answer. <laughs> you think there's some teams I could name the cleanup hitter on, though? That's my point. Well, look, I, I think that uh, you know there's a there's a culture here of of glass half full. Right. I'm, I'm going to bring one of the glasses. Glasses uh, is all the way full, and we're going to make sure that it's uh, it's got fluid to the top. Yeah, but you can't try to come in today and tell me the glass is full because no one's going to believe that today. I, I don't need believers today. I'm gonna I'm gonna earn believers one day at a time. All right, we're back, and joining us, a friend of the show, he was on a few weeks back. He was actually at City Field at the press conference earlier today. It's our good friend from New York Sports Day, Rich Mancuso, on Twitter, at Ring786. Uh, recent piece up over at NY Sports Day, nysportsday.com, that you should uh, check out. Rich, uh, pleasure to have you. Uh, you know, you've been in on this uh, GM uh, conversation. You and I have talked on air, off air. Uh, you got a chance to meet the new GM today. Um, it was an interesting process. I think you've had a little insight to this. Mm. Interesting process to get to Brody Van Wagenen, huh? It, it was. And before we continue, Mike, I want to clarify, you know, we had Gary LaRock as the new GM for sure. But uh, as you've seen on Twitter and as you reported, you know, I mean, uh, these things happen. And in my piece on New York Sports Day today, that I wrote after the press conference, the ball is now in the hands of Brody. And if you read, uh, you know, I gave a brief explanation to Gary Rock, had the job, turned it down. He didn't want to be in the middle of a power play with father and son wanting different philosophies on who to have. And so he decided that he had a better situation in St. Louis to be maybe their future general manager. And uh, that was that. He turned it down. But he was the guy. He was the guy that Fred wanted and Jeff uh, finally uh, convinced Dad we got to go this direction. So he didn't want to – Will Rock didn't want to be in a power struggle. So I wanted to clarify that right away before we continued so that the fans don't think I've been misinforming them or anything like that because uh, when we reported last, that was the guy. But now we have Brody in town, and we'll see where this goes. I think the biggest thing that I took away from what I understand, talking to you, obviously talking to some others throughout the process, was that I always felt Jeff Wilpon, and he does make the final decision. I mean, he's the patriarch of this uh, organization. He was Jeff's father, even though Jeff is the chief operating officer. And all along I thought, whether it be Gary LaRock or at some point, I felt Doug Melvin was the favorite. If there was a connection where, and, and a lot of people used it old school versus analytics, or 
connections to Terry Collins or Omar or Dodgers. You know, that's been something in the past that Fred has always uh, gravitated towards. I thought the candidate that had that connection to Fred would win out, and obviously LaRock was the choice for Fred. That didn't work out. I guess the biggest thing I took away is that maybe Fred is finally seeding some of this decision-making to Jeff and giving Jeff yeah. what he wants. Because in the past, it never I don't feel Jeff got the final word. He'd make recommendations, and I, and I feel at least what I know – uh, you know, Fred would get the final call and he would override his son. Oh, I think this is Jeff's team now. There's no doubt about it. I think Fred will be there, but I think it's Jeff's team. And I think he's going to have a final say. And, and and we're getting this out of this GM search. It was interesting that uh, it was heard right away that they had 40 names that came to the table. Then they narrowed it down. And the minute that Jeff... Uh, or, uh, met, met with Brody. That's the guy he wanted. He they, they clicked right away, and uh, it comes out of three things that were mentioned in his press conference when he met the media today: scouting, development, and sustaining this winning attitude and philosophy, and also analytics. That's the big word. And in the end, I think analytics won over, and this guy knows something about that, except uh, the questions, as I wrote about. Will it work or will, or will it not? You know, it's, it all depends. This is a man jumping from a, into a completely different ball game where he has no prior experience in upper management of running a baseball team. But Omar Minaya, supposedly is going to be involved with him and be his right-hand man, and that's going to help him a lot. But we'll see where this goes. Rich Mancuso, New York Sports Day, joining me. He was at the press conference earlier today, wanted to get his perspective and, uh, I mean, what what was your impression of Brody Van Wagen? And I, I don't know if you knew him before. You know, obviously you, you, you bullet point his big, uh, I guess, takeaways from today or what he communicated. I mean, this was all PR today. I mean, people who thought they were going to get the plan. I mean, come on. No one's going to give you the plan at a press conference. But uh, give me your honest first impression. I'm big on first impressions. And, and, and look, if you don't yeah. win the press conference in this town – you don't win the press conference in this town. It's only going to get worse. So the press conference is the easy part. But, you know, I, I feel like there's always that first judge of character. Uh, what was Richie yeah. Cuso's judge of Brody Van Wagenen? I, I, I compare it to the same thing that happened uh, in 2010 when Sandy Ellison was named the GM. This guy's younger, of course, but I compared the same thing. Same hoopla, press conference positive attitude, positive approach, which Mets fans want to hear. Uh, I don't see any difference in that. I see the same comparison with Sandy Alderson's press conference. You're not gonna, I don't know the man, and I've only heard great things about him through, through people I know in the game. Uh, and mostly that comes from uh, upper management, the personnel, uh, you know, some scouts that have met him and, know his know-how just dealing with players through negotiating of contracts and stuff uh, as a player agent. Um, and again, that's the key. I mean, we got, we really don't know this man and we're going to get to know him now. And it all began today and we'll see how it transpires at the meetings, the general manager meetings coming up in a week or so. And of course with the free agent table open now, uh, we'll see where that goes. I mean, they're, to go back to what you're saying, Mike, 
I didn't even get to talk to him one-on-one today. Uh, just listening to him again, there is that positive attitude, that positive approach, and that was expected. The results remain to be seen. Uh, I can't give a prospectus on where this goes until we see the results. But the positive thing that I could tell you is this man is going to want to spend money. He's going to convince these guys, the owners to spend money. And I think they're committed to doing that. Who they get, I don't know. That remains to be seen. Um, but I, he definitely has the ears of the Wilpons. And that's going to be a positive thing to all this. Again, the results remain to be seen. Rich Mancuso, New York Sports Day. One of the things that I've been talking about all summer was this idea that the Mets need to tear this to the studs and rebuild, trade the Grom, trade Syndergaard, uh, go all out, Houston Astros type of rebuild. And I've been really adamant in saying, you know, that Astros rebuild was completely different. The Cubs situation, completely different. The Mets have more here. And Van Wagenen said that today. And I found it interesting that Jeff Wilpon said every one of the candidates, they named that there was 12. There was 12 candidates. I don't think we know all of them that they seriously considered all felt the same way. Now, you can argue that they only really talked seriously to those who felt that way because then you have the rumors or the reports that Ben Sherrington, former of the Red Sox, former GM of the Red Sox, he felt a total teardown. Now, to me, a GM or a candidate that goes to a team and says tear it down, one of two things. One, there's just nothing there, and that's the only way to go. Or two, you basically gave yourself job security for four or five years, and you're about yourself, not about looking at the situation and, and building the situation from what's in front of you. And I'm curious, do you agree? Because I feel there's a lot here. Uh, I think if he could get the Wilpons to feel confident about spending money, that's a big mission accomplished. Because I don't think Sandy Alderson really gave them that kind of confidence. And Omar Manaya had no. it and lost yeah. it. Um, so, I mean, that's a big thing because then you're telling me, uh, you know, do you feel that's the right move that they have a little bit here to work with and spending some money responsibly on the right players um, could jumpstart this where they could start contending now while they rebuild a farm system that many people think is not all that bad? Well, they, they, they came out today that they're not here to rebuild. They're here to contend next year. I truly believe that. And uh, this is the guy that's going to guide them to it. Uh, you know, here's another thing through all this. You know, uh, Jeff Wilpon said this, as I wrote too. This Brody has insights with other teams, and that can only be a plus. What does he mean by that? Well, you know, when you're dealing with players and you're dealing with other uh, general managers as he's had or other organizations as he's had, you're going to know about these other teams. You're also going to learn what your team is going to need now that you're there. And he has that. He has that knowledge right now. But insights with other teams, I don't think Sandy had as much of that. Full autonomy, I think this man will have that. I think he's going to have the power to spend, and I think the Mets have plenty of payroll going into next year. They, I think they took – I just think I, I saw a report on MLB that they have they they took about forty million off the table in salary. I might be I might be wrong about that. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they do have money to spend. But 
spend it wisely. I mean, you know, you got Manny Machado out there, Bryce Harper, and I don't think either one of them here is coming to the Mets. But they need a catcher. And uh, this guy has knowledge of some of the catchers out there, including now who's a former client, Ramuto, down in Miami, down in Florida. And would it not be a nice welcome if the Mets could get him? And I'm wondering if that played a hand in it. The Jacob DeGrom thing definitely helps that he had him as a client, now as a former client. That benefits, I believe, strongly to the Mets. And that's also a positive thing to see for Mets fans to look at, that the fact that this man, though he has no experience in the upper office and management, does have that connection with other people in the game that probably could gear him to negotiating a proper contract to get the right one or two players here to put the Mets there, not towards rebuilding, but to winning next year. And let's face it, they have a pitching staff that they don't have to tweak, very little to tweak about there except for the bullpen. And they have the money to spend. And this, and I really do think that Brody will be, will be able to do that with the financial flexibility the Mets do have going into next year and with his knowledge of what players are out there because of his contacts and what he used to do as a player agent. You know, that's a big plus, I think. And that's a great point, and I think that ties into some of what I'll call the tantrums that you've seen in the media. You know, Buster Olney threw a tantrum. You've seen anonymous quotes from other front office executives. You know, well, you know this guy has as much, I think it was Olney's quote, as much um, qualifications to play first base as he does GM. Look, like it or not, like the GM game, the agenting game, whatever you know game you want to look at, uh, to rise up to a high-level position at CAA, a powerful agency in that business, and I know an agent on a very boutique small scale that I've talked to many times, and it is a cesspool at every level. I've known people who've tried to get into this business and got in and got out really quick, and to rise to the top at that organization – where he has done scouting, he's gone to high school games, where he's responsible for a department. Granted, that's not a department that um, ultimately has W's and L's next to it like a baseball team, but there's W's and L's in the same way. So it's not as off base as everyone thinks. And I'll tell you what, if there's a lot of tantrums being thrown about a hire from other organizations, it may be because of what you just said. He's had deep conversations with 30 clubs, knows inner workings, and now he's taking that intelligence and going to craft and build his own shop. And to me, a bad hire people ignore and make fun of, they don't throw tantrums over. So that gives me some hope. The media slash anonymous quote reaction gives me some hope. Yeah, it does. It definitely does. Uh, Who's to say if any of the other candidates that qualify for this job may be better than him could do a better job. That remains to be seen. I mean, we have to see what we got to give this guy a chance. Look, I wasn't for it. I really wasn't, Mike. I wasn't, you know me, you know how I felt about it. I did. I felt Gary LaRock was the guy and I thought he was going to be the guy. And that's because he has all that experience in upper management knows how to run player development and has the analytic mode as well, which now every baseball team is, Look at analytics. This guy fits the mold with everything, and 
we have to give him a chance. Just the way we gave Sandy Allison a chance for the last eight years or whatever it was. We got to give him a chance. And by the way, as much as I knocked Sandy, he wasn't all that bad. I've said that before to you, to others. I mean, you look at 2015 and then the wild card year after, and that's going to be a tribute to Sandy. And, of course, a lot of these players on this Mets team now are Sandy Alverson's guys. Um, but, again, he's not coming in here by himself. He's going to keep some of the old regime, in particular Omar Minaya, who, as you know and everyone is aware of, I'm a big proponent of Omar Minaya. I love the guy. I love the guy because he's baseball. He knows the game, and he knows how to scout and he knows how to evaluate talent and uh, knows about organization as far as players and what are the proper players to have in your organization. So that's going to be a big asset. Rico's another guy. He's been there. He knows. I expect him to retain JP. I don't know. We we didn't hear much about his name being mentioned today. Uh, So, again, give the guy a chance. We, we, We know his background. We know that there might be, there are flaws and that he's never done this before, but we also know the positives that he knows all these other teams and all these other general managers and he knows what's going on. And that's going to be that, that definitely can hurt. He can, it won't hurt. And he'll learn maybe a little bit as he goes along on the job, just like anyone gets a new job is going to learn, but he's a baseball guy. He knows the game and he knows what he has to do when it comes to negotiating a contract because he's been on the other side of the table. So I'm not totally against this move and we have to give him a chance. Uh, Rich, a couple of quick ones before you wrap up. Uh, you happy that Callaway got the vote of confidence? I, I think the leash will oh, be yeah. short because I think the leash will be short. I'm happy that he's going to get another year. Uh, he, t- you know, yeah. Brody Van Wagen and talked about culture. That's a lot of what, Callaway talked about. I even had a podcast about a, a, an article in Fangraphs when Callaway talked yeah. about the culture and some of the things they're trying to do. So, two quick things. First, Callaway, are uh, you happy that he's going to be back, at least for one more year? Oh, yeah. I thought he did a good job, and particularly, you know, the pitching staff performed because of him and because of Dave Island. So, uh, there might be some changes in the coaching staff, and I didn't hear anything about that today. Uh, we do know that. Mickey Callaway has that vote of confidence and is going to be around at least another year, and we'll see what he does. So, yeah, it might be a short uh, span, and we'll see what he does in the new season. Uh, but one big plus, again, is he's got the pitching and the core of the, uh, right there to do it. They have to work on the bullpen. That is so obvious, and they're pretty good guys out there that are available, and the Mets could spend to get them. Like, And Andrew Miller comes to mind right away. That will help them. So they got to revamp the bullpen. Um, and Mickey Callaway is safe. It was said today. And, uh, you know, this is going to be uh, a 2019 next year. Mickey Callaway will be watched. There's no doubt about it. He will be watched. And maybe uh, Brody will have uh, other ideas when in the season or, or after. Uh, the key is that uh, the Mets are going to have to get off to a good start with the right nucleus of a roster get off to a good start and sustain the winning as that was, that word was mentioned so much today, sustainable winning. And they want to do that. And I think this guy will do it. I think this guy will uh, get things in order and make sure, as he said, and committed to the fans, we want a sustainable winning team. 
and we want a winning team for the, for the fans and for the city of New York. Uh, it just can't be the Yankees now. It's got to be the Mets. That's what it comes down to. And they, the Mets know what they're doing now. And I think you're going to see the commitment to spend money. I think you see a totally different outlook with this team when it comes to their approach to spending. One last thing. You mentioned how during the process, Gary LaRock wasn't really happy about or wouldn't have been happy being in a situation where father and son really weren't on the same page. It sounds like, at least if you listen to Jeff, that Fred is comfortable with this hire. And maybe yeah. this is what's been lacking, because here's my take from what I know, and you might be close to this, so I'd be curious your opinion as we, we put the final bow on the segment. I don't really think Fred and Jeff were on the same page with Omar. I don't know if Jeff was as big a fan of Omar as, as Fred. We know Fred loves Omar. Right. I think Jeff was right. okay with Sandy Alderson, but I'm not sure that he was totally Jeff's guy. I don't even think Terry Collins mm. was Jeff's guy for a long time. And I think Sandy came along when he really almost had to be foisted upon the, the Mets organization because of the financial situation. Now you have a guy that Jeff is comfortable with. That's big. Fred is supposedly comfortable with. That's huge because he's the, the captain over here. Maybe that'll create some more harmony and the dysfunction. Maybe that was part of the dysfunction. I'm speculating here. I'm trying to piece things together from what I know, mm-hmm. but I think there might be some, some fire where there's smoke with those, those comments. What are your thoughts? Yeah, there could be. I mean, I, I, you know, nobody knows what goes behind closed doors with these guys. So we could only speculate. And again, it comes down to money and spending and, and also having the right pieces in place. And that comes from the top. And uh, they're obviously, uh, you know, again, I'm not going to fault Sandy completely, but he wasn't the guy for the job no more. Health issue or not, I think he was going to be out the door eventually. And, and, uh, you know, began with uh, getting a new manager in place this past year. And the overall results were good with with, with Callaway, with with Mickey Callaway. Um, As far as Fred and Jeff, they're as tight as ever. From what I hear, again, we're not behind closed doors. Differences in philosophies, it comes down to, again, to analytics, the new and the old. And I think now it's all going to come together because you got a guy, again, that believes in analytics, stressed that, and made that the most important point out of the three, again, scouting, development, and analytics. That's what came out of this today. And uh, when you mention analytics last, they really mean that first. And that's what every baseball team is doing today. And even the Red Sox did it towards their world championship this year. I think the Mets are going to want to go in that direction and uh, get away from the home run ball eventually and, and stop playing more small ball, depend on the pitching, and, and develop more out of the farm system. And by the way, they're not, that farm system is not as bad as everybody makes it out to be. And we saw that with the comings of Jeff McNeil. Now, who thought Jeff McNeil was going to have the type of season he had when he came up here. And that's going to be their second baseman next year. So uh, to wrap this up, Mike, all positive. This wasn't the guy that I wanted or a lot of Met fans uh, were looking at as an outsider that's never had this uh, upper management experience. But coming at it today, if you're a Met fan, you got to feel positive. Can't go wrong with that. Rich, you know, I love the segments. We're going to have you on again. 
Um, you gave us a lot of stuff from August to now with this process, this GM process. You were always the first one. I always will say to report the cesspit assignment. I know. Keep on keeping. I appreciate keep on it. Keeping on that, man. And uh, well, Mike, I'm going to be at the winter meeting. Yeah, I'll be at the. Yeah, I'm, so I'm we'll not going to go on. away that quick. <laughs> I'll be at the <laughs> winter meetings, and we'll see where this goes in December. And again, to all awesome. the Mets fans and all your loyal followers, and even mine. Uh, the fact that I had get in, in New York sports, they had Galileo Rock as the next GM. We didn't make a mistake. We had that. Okay. We're not looking to scoop anyone or be on top of the game. It comes from who we have as sources that are very reliable. It's just that this man did turn down the job. He saw something he didn't like. He was offered the job. And, and you would have maybe had this announcement prior to the world series with Galilee or Rock, but he pulled himself out of it. So, uh, again, apologies if we if we uh, misled anyone, but I don't think we did. And uh, here we are today, and all we can do is wish this uh, the new GM, the 13th in Mets franchise history, the best of luck. And you keep up the good work, my friend. It's always good talking to you and reading uh, the website. Great, great content. I'm great to be a part of it. Awesome. Be well, Rich. We'll talk again. Thanks so much. Thank you, Mike. Bye-bye. That's uh, Rich Mancuso, nysportsday.com, New York Sports Day. I guess lucky number 13, right? Anyway, uh, lucky 13 on the GM uh, situation. All right, let's take a quick break. Final thoughts wrap. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. We'll be back with more right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. Always great stuff from Rich Mancuso. I, I listen. I really enjoy talking to him. Really authentic, old school, good talk radio. He's going to be down at the winter meetings. I'm I'm looking forward to uh, that. So uh, appreciate that. Um, wanted to wrap up here. So uh, we we've we've gotten past the GM hire. Similar last year when Mickey Callaway was announced. The whole month of October was spent watching. Other teams in the postseason and figure out who the next manager is. This year, the general manager. You know, I like where the Mets are. I like the foundation. I think they got some good players. I think they got some interesting prospects in the farm system. Peter Alonso is having a huge Arizona Fall League. We had Bernie Pleskoff about a week and a half ago talk about his reaction down there to uh, Alonso. Gave us a huge uh, endorsement. Uh, looks like uh, Van Wagenen is going to be going out to Arizona and talking to Alonzo. And there may be your bat. Maybe there's your Cespedes bat. I know that's a big question mark, but that might be the guy that could make up for the loss of power with Cespedes. And the work starts right away. The general manager's meetings are next week. 
Before you know it, it'll be the winter meetings. Maybe we'll get our buddy Rich back during the winter meetings. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. We could finally talk about where we think and the opinions of where we think this team needs to go. And uh, that's fun because for so long we talked about the past, whether it be what went wrong or David Wright, the farewell, and then you know we speculated on the general manager situation, and, and that's all gone. Now we can really move forward. We, we have someone who has at least articulated the uh, broad outline of a team that he thinks could contend, uh, an organization that he thinks needs to have its mindset adjusted, and the culture, which maybe in some cases is heading in the right direction, needs to really be at a laser speed uh, rate, pushed into a another level. And you can't ask for more than that. And that's any organization. And I'm a Knicks fan, and I do this podcast, and I, I, I love the Mets, and I love what I try to be impartial and cover the Mets. But for the first time, I feel both these organizations, and the Knicks may be a little bit ahead of this because they've been working on this for about a year with the culture change. Uh, I'm hearing things from both the manager and the GM that I haven't heard in a long time. And um, I think the real key will be, and this is where the work and, and the proof is in the work and the results, is how he can go out there and execute whatever that vision is. And I really think most importantly, can he give the ownership the confidence that and give the players the confidence that when he recruits them, that they're coming to the right place. Because a lot of this is salesmanship. And if you're an agent and you got to the level that Brody Van Wagenen got at CAA, you knew how to sell. You knew how to sell yourself. You knew how to sell players to teams and, 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 and other GMs and other owners. Because remember, as you get to $100, $200 million contracts, you're going above the GM at that point. The owner's got to make that investment. It's their money. They they write the check. So be very interesting. But I felt, I loved, and, I, and you heard some of the clips earlier. I didn't want to put all of it out there because technically it's WFAN's rights, but it's there. But I, I put the clip at the end in the intro, if you heard, about Francesa. You know, I gave you a little snippet of what he said at the press conference, Van Wagenen, and... You heard a little bit about um, his rebuttal to Francesca. If you want, go to WFAN and you can hear the whole thing. And it's good. I, I could not ask anyone to answer that blowhard. And answer, you know, Francesca really just epitomized the New York media and how they've behaved throughout this process. He, he epitomized it in that interview, and Van Wagenen uh, responded perfectly. And I think if he continues to execute and win, like Joel Sherman, go to the New York Post. You'll see what Joel Sherman said. Winning kind of just boils all this down, all this other stuff, all this other fake outrage. Scott Boris, Buster Olney, the people like Ken Davidoff who don't get it, quote-unquote. I don't understand how you can't get it. It's pretty obvious to me. It's all going to go away. Anyway, going to wrap up. Thanks for tuning in. I want to thank our good man, Rich Mancuso. Check him out at New York Sportsway, nysportsday.com. Uh, Rich always does good work over there. Of course, you can check me out all the time at metsmorizedonline.com. Send me a tweet at MikeSilvaMedia. And you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Leave me a review on iTunes. Really appreciate it. Of course, check me out at Metsmorized Online. Send me a note anytime, Twitter, whatever. Love to hear from you. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast very soon. Be well, everybody.
Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.